Thank you for listening to the Institute of Buddhist Studies podcast. The following is an audio version of the fall 2011 Numata lecture by Professor Dale Wright of Occidental College titled Karmic Mindfulness, Rethinking Morality in Contemporary Buddhism, recorded on October 28, 2011. For a full version of this talk, please visit our website at podcast.shin-ibs.edu or search for us in the iTunes podcast directory. What I want to do today in talking to you is to um, not describe Buddhism, but to um, make suggestions for how um, a certain principle in the Buddhist tradition um, might be applicable and usable beyond Buddhism more broadly as a universal principle of morality. So I want to talk about karma. And um, I'm going to do that in the tradition of Dr. Numata, who, in fact, is the, uh, the sponsor of this lecture and the Bukyo Dendo Kyokai in Japan, a very important organization, and uh, sponsored Buddhist studies all over the world. Um, but the, the basic premise that this person had, Dr. Numata, is that there's something very um, important in Buddhism. There's something extraordinarily rich and profound that might be applicable more broadly, um, universally, around the world. So uh, in, in light of that, I want to suggest that um, he was certainly right when it comes to the principle of karma. Unlike Dr. Numata, though I'm not a Buddhist, or at least not a card-carrying, temple-belonging Buddhist, but if you study something long enough, it just soaks into your very marrow. And so in some sense, of course, yes, I am. But I spent my career thinking about Buddhist philosophy and practice in connection to other traditions of thought, Western philosophy, world religions, comparative religions, um, uh, and especially Chinese religions, in fact. So um, what I keep discovering, though, is that there are uh, extraordinary riches to be found in Buddhism. And, um, and so what I want to do today is draw out one of those and try to explain how I think it's usable by anyone or everyone. So we're focused on karma, basic moral ethical principle in Buddhism. Um, and what's interesting to me now is that everyone understands what karma means. So 50 years ago, if you would have gone into a room of Americans and said something about karma, nobody would have known what that word means. But now it's universal. It, you can look in any decent dictionary, uh, English language dictionary, and karma is an English word. Right? And so um, if you ask a group of students, which I do every year, what is karma? They will, uh, they will say the exact same thing. They'll say karma is the idea that what goes around, who can finish it? Comes around. What goes around, what you put out into the world, comes back to you. And that's a really good definition. That's a really good start. Um, if you send um, actions of kindness and compassion out into the world, um, there is a tendency for that to be inscribed in your character. And people will tend to um, come back to you with kindness and compassion. If you are violent and cruel, um, you, uh, in your actions, you will become yourself violent and cruel. 
and people will treat you in that way. So that there, it's, it's a, a universal rule that you know, all religious traditions have something that, um, that defines that, but in Buddhism it's extraordinarily well defined. So we can also say um, karma is the Buddhist principle of justice. Okay? It plays the role in India, all Indian religions, um, uh, Hinduism, Jainism, Buddhism, that um, is played in Christianity and Islam by um, God issuing commandments, obedience on the part of human beings, judgment day, and a fate of heaven and hell. Karma plays that same role in a, in a different way, but that's the role it plays. In other words, it guarantees everyone in a religion, a religious tradition, that in that there's karmic, uh, cosmic justice in the long run. In the long run, everyone gets what they deserve. Is the basic idea. Okay. Um, so, what's what's great about karma is it requires less what I'll call metaphysical scaffolding. There are are fewer ideas that you have to believe about karma. Um, then you would need to believe, if you're a Christian or a Muslim, in order to have the moral principle of cosmic justice work. So, for example, um, if you're a Christian, you really have to um, accept the commandments of God. You have to believe in God, accept the commandments are given, that uh, you live in accordance with them, and then at some point a judgment is made on your character, and then you're assigned a certain fate, either a good fate or a not-so-good fate. Karma doesn't require believing any of that. Um, karma works naturalistically. That is, it's just the way the universe works. Right? The cosmos is built in this moral way, such that what you do um, will come back to you in that same form. Okay? The one belief, though, that's required that is somewhat difficult is a belief in reincarnation, or in Buddhist terms, in rebirth. Okay? So that, that's... That's the only element that is really required to be able to accept the way karma has traditionally worked in Buddhism. And I have to tell you, that leap of faith is not one I'm willing to make or am able to make. That is, as um, a person living in the 21st century, I find the idea of rebirth um, I, 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 just, I just can't work with it, right? There's something about the idea of rebirth that's difficult for me and for many people who are not raised in Asian traditions where that is a custom you know, going way back. Um, and it's, it's hard for people outside of that tradition to see it as anything but an unwarranted belief. That is something that you have to take on faith, that there is rebirth, okay? So what I'm trying to ask then, because I think karma's a brilliant idea, um, I'm trying to ask myself and figure out, will this idea work in the absence of the idea of rebirth or reincarnation? Can you still think karma and have that be your guiding moral principle if you don't believe that you're gonna be reborn in the future? There are some difficulties, but my answer to that is basically, yes, you can. Um, and that it does work, and it works brilliantly, but um, some adjustments have to be made from my point of view, and that's what I want to try to describe today. What adjustments would I think you need to make to a principle of karma to have it really function, um, not just for people um, out of Asian cultures, but universally 
uh, an idea that anyone or everyone could accept. All right, so let me start here, um, asking why was it, or why is it, that karma has been connected with the idea of an afterlife? Right? Why is karma linked up with the idea of rebirth or reincarnation? Um, an interesting historical answer to that, or how that came to be, is that it happened in all world religions during the same era that linked morality, that is, how you treat others, how you behave in the world, link that part of your life up with a belief in an afterlife. There was a time, if you go back far enough in human history, where um, afterlife uh, uh, wasn't linked to morality. That is, it, it didn't matter, the moral quality of your life didn't matter for you to get to live an afterlife. That wasn't the criteria. In, in very, very early traditions, um, participating in an afterlife, some life beyond this one, was simply a function of pleasing the gods. But the gods weren't themselves moral. Remember, in early Greek mythology, in Indian mythology, morality and religion hadn't joined forces yet. Religion, um, in fact, was separate from morality. Um, so that at a certain era, let's call it the Axial Age, um, and let's, let's date it sometime around, let's say, eight centuries before the Common Era, so almost three millennia ago. From that time on, traditions began to link up morality, that is, the quality of your life in the world, with whether or not you would get an afterlife and what kind of afterlife you would get. Okay? Christianity did that, and Islam did that. Judaism, uh, yeah, but a much more complicated question in the case of Judaism. Um, but Hinduism did it, the pre-Hindu Brahmanical traditions in India, and Buddhists did it, and the Jains did it, so that it, it matters what kind of life you lead morally and ethically, and that the quality of that life will determine what happens to you after you die in the future. Okay. So that at some point, those got linked up, whereas prior to death, they weren't. All right. Now, um, so I want to suggest that uh, the link between karma and rebirth, or karma and afterlife, where it comes to you after you live your life, has to do with the fact of injustice in the world. Okay, and here's, how, here's how I think that works. That um, at some point in our lives, all of us realize that um, at least in one lifetime, not everyone gets what they deserve. Right? Some people do, but other people don't. There, that it's hard to it's hard to think that there's there's justice always because sometimes corporate criminals get away with it. Right? We know that um, Bernie Madoff got caught and humiliated at the end of his life, but he lived a long life of great pleasure and luxury. Um, sometimes very good people die. Um, they're in car accidents. They um, die of cancer. And so it, there, there's, there's no link there between the quality of their life and what the outcome that they got in this lifetime. And we all see that. So we all begin to recognize that there's something unjust that happens, at least occasionally, more, more, than, more than occasionally, but it does happen. 
Um, and any, um, any theory of morality will have to account for that. Well, we know how that's done in Christianity and Islam, right? That the moral quality of your life will determine whether you go to a heavenly abode or a hellish one, right? And we know how it works in Hinduism and Buddhism that the moral quality of, of your life will shape your future rebirth or your reincarnation. Right? So, so their um, karma or moral depth or lack thereof, lack of moral depth, um, is what determines what happens to you after you die in an afterlife kind of situation. Okay. Um, a famous Western philosopher named Friedrich Nietzsche um, called this slave morality. Okay? Um, Nietzsche was harsh. He was the son of a Lutheran minister, but he was so anti-Christian, he just couldn't bear it. And so most of this is focused at Christianity, but let me describe what he means. He says that at some point, the priests, that is religious leaders, turned the tables on the overlords, that is the people who were running roughshod over everyone. And he says that the, the priests began to teach ordinary people who were being, you know, um, uh, lorded over by the lords, began to teach them that it might seem like people, that people like Achilles or Gaddafi, um, that strength and dominance is good. It might seem as though imposing your will on others against their will is good because you get what you want. But the, it's an illusion. It's an illusion of the short term. So the priests began to say, yes, it seems like the emperor is great, even though he's torturing and murdering all these people, and he lives a good life. But in the long run, right, what happens to him after he dies, he's in serious trouble. So, um, so religion begins to flip the tables around on the people who were dominating, Nietzsche says. So they're saying, in effect, go ahead, dominate us now, rob us, beat us. Um, we don't care because. Over the long run, we shall inherit the earth. In the long run, we're going to heaven and you're going to burn in hell. Um, so um, it inverts what's obvious. Right? It was obvious to everyone that winning was great. Getting to dominate and have your will be done is wonderful. But this, what Nietzsche calls slave morality, turns that around and the priests begin to say, no, um, it, that's wrong. It's better to be meek. Meek is better than dominance and strength. Okay, so in uh, in Buddhism, it's much less graphic than it comes out in um, in Christianity. Cosmic justice will be done in in the Buddhist tradition. Everyone will get what they deserve. In fact, exactly what they deserve. So that the quality of your future life is being determined by you right now as you're living out your life. All the decisions you're making, all of your actions are determining that future for yourself. Um, notice an interesting difference between karma and rebirth as a way to, to handle that and um, judgment and heaven and hell as a way to handle it. Uh, in Christianity, um, there's, there's no nuance, right? Um, it's that these people go to heaven and these people go to hell. So picture this. Let's say I'm, a, I'm okay. I'm not a terrible person. Um, 
I do my job, I treat my children well, yes, I lie a little bit, yes, I cheat a little bit, but let's say I just make the cut, I just slip by, and I get into the group going to heaven. So there I am with Mother Teresa, and uh, living this luxurious life in heaven, even though the quality of my life is really weak. Then let's say, to, uh, so there's an injustice there, right? I get to go to heaven with Mother Teresa, I mean, come on, there's Jesus and Buddha. Um, um, that's unjust. I'm not good enough. Um, then let's, let's look on the other side. Um, let's say my best friend lives a life basically like mine, um, but maybe he tells one more lie than I did, and he just misses the cut. Yeah. So I slip into heaven, he slips into hell with Bernie Madoff and Gaddafi and Hitler, and suffers this terrible fate. Right? So is that just? I'm in heaven, he's in hell, we live basically the same life. So karma does that brilliantly. Uh, karma says, your next life is going to be exactly shaped by the quality of your life. Uh, not, not, not a huge divide, not a major difference. <clears throat> okay, so there's a flexibility in the idea of karma that works brilliantly there. Um, but my claim is that neither of these stories is going to work, that neither one will be acceptable, that the more we enter into an age of freedom and critical thinking, the less believable it will be um, that there's God issuing commandments and making judgment and taking people to heaven and hell, and the less believable it will be that I'm determining the quality of a future rebirth or reincarnation. Okay? Um, my, my claim is that unless karma can be separated from that idea, it won't be able to function in this universal way that I would like to see it work. But that um, that separation has to happen, I think, because the intellectual warrant, the believability of rebirth is in question. It's also difficult for us to believe that justice is always done because we see so many cases where it's not done. We see cases where a lovely child at the age of five is snuffed out by some terrible disease, um, or someone who's done good works is murdered on the streets. Um, we see cases of injustice. So um, it's not that the cosmos is unjust. It's rather that, in, from a contemporary point of view, we see it as indifferent. The, the cosmos doesn't care because the cosmos isn't conscious. Um, we're conscious. We care. But the universe isn't able to act in a way to guarantee cosmic justice. Cancer attacks good people just as readily as it attacks bad people. When, on a rare occasion, an, air, an airline goes down, an airplane goes down and crashes, the people on that plane are a mixture of good and bad people. It's not that all the bad people get put on that plane and then it goes down. It's, it's, the universe is indifferent. Um, cancer cells are indifferent. It just happens, and it has nothing to do with the quality of your moral life. So that um, the balance of merit, what you have earned in your life, and reward is sometimes out of whack. Not always, but sometimes it's not there. So we can ask, well, why have we human beings for two to three millennia now believed in cosmic justice? 
Why do we believe that? What's, what's behind our belief? Well, I think the idea, the reason is that as the idea of justice um, was created, and it, it was invented at a certain point um, in early Greece, in early India, in early China, and began to evolve, as that idea um, spread and became part of our awareness of the world, it became an expectation. So that for all of us, we think that there ought to be justice in the world. Right? We can't, it's hard for us to accept that um, things are unjust. It's hard for us to accept that a corporate criminal who has robbed the elderly of their savings gets to live in a mansion in Florida in great pleasure. And, or that a very good person ends up being tortured by somebody. Um, that injustice is difficult. We, we, we have a deep sense that there ought to be justice. Not that there is, but that there ought to be. So um, I think it's a matter of some degree of wishful thinking that we come to claim that, in fact, there is cosmic justice. It's wishful thinking. Um, so a cosmic justice appears to be an illusion, an illusion that we want. It's fostered by our wishful thinking. So we can ask, though, are, are illusions sometimes good for us? Is it sometimes good for us to believe things that aren't true? If you know the, the sutra um, in Buddhism called the Lotus Sutra, you know that um, the answer there is, yeah, it claims that um, sometimes illusions are good for you. But my claim is not in the long run. In the long run, the truth will out. In the long run, the truth will smite you if you hold on to an illusion. You're better off getting rid of illusions. So the illusion that justice always prevail or must prevail blocks our efforts to do something about justice, stands in the way of our doing it ourselves. OK. Um, so what I'm saying is that um, the truth for me, and I think for us increasingly, is that cosmic justice is an illusion. And one reason for our disbelief in that is just our experience of injustice in the world. Um, media reports on injustice, we're hearing it all the time. Um, another, another reason, though, that, that we are increasingly aware of, that if we're historically conscious, that is, if we're aware of the changes that happen over time in culture, uh, call it cultural evolution, the change of things like morality, morality does change, um, then we're, if we think that morality is just fixed, we're, we're stuck in a, a bit of a quandary. So for example, take the example of slavery. My guess is that if we went around and if we could ask everyone in the world, what's the moral quality of slavery? Is a slave owner, is it good or bad or indifferent or what? My guess is at least 90% of the people in the world today would say slavery is awful. That if you're a slave owner, that's really bad karma. But um, my guess is also, and I don't know this either, but my guess is if you went back 500 years, um, you know, there would be mixed. There would be some people would say, well, slavery might be questionable. But a lot of people would say, mm, slavery is fine. Um, if you go back a couple thousand years, uh, pretty much slavery is just part of the social structure. So um, slavery existed at the time of the Buddha, existed at the time of Jesus. Um, neither the Buddha nor Jesus had anything negative to say about slavery. Um, it didn't occur to them. Right? It wasn't, it was like, 
Um, you know, some people are bakers, and some are carpenters, and some are rulers, and some are slaves. It's just kind of, it was just a given. Never occurred to Jesus. Jesus mentioned slavery a few times in the Gospels, and but it just goes by without pass. He doesn't praise it, but he doesn't condemn it either. So it didn't. It wasn't thought to have a moral quality one way or another. But for us, it does, right? So that over the the two thousand years since that time, we have changed. So that now we think that the the karmic quality of, of having people as your slaves is terrible, right? It's awful. So. So what are we to think about that? Um, has the cosmos changed its mind about slavery? No. We've changed our mind, right? We've changed our mind. And it has been a gradual learning process of realizing that everyone ought to be free. A realization that two millennia ago, um, people didn't have. So um, our ancestors were simply incapable of noticing in their time what we can't help but notice in ours. That is, that these um, acts of slavery are wrong. Okay, but there's, um, there's a hard part here and a danger. Um, we realize that belief in cosmic justice is an illusion and that reality is largely indifferent to questions of justice. Reality doesn't care about justice or the cosmos out there. Um, and that morality has no ultimate ground because it's changing over time. What we think morally changes. If you, if you realize that, what happens to morality? Um, those of you who are aware of European history will know that in the 18th century in Europe, um, when some people began to doubt the existence of God, a few, uh, as science and uh, the world of technology was coming into play, um, some people began to doubt whether there really was God. But others said, oh, we can't do that um, because morality depends on there being God, right? The whole structure is God has commandments of morality and we do it um, because it's commanded. And if it's not commanded by God, then why should we be moral? So it's, it becomes the central philosophical question of modern Europe. Why should we be moral if there's not God? Okay, so um, people become disillusioned. On the one hand, Disillusion is a good thing. Disillusioned means getting rid of your illusions, right? The things that are false that you believe, now you got rid of them. But disillusion also means other things. It means sometimes going into despair, being cynical, thinking that everything's meaningless or pointless. Um, it becomes nihilistic, right? So that a culturally corrosive force that's not doing good things. So which is worse? Believing things that you suspect are false, like um, um, if I'm good, I get to go to heaven, or if I'm good, I get a new rebirth, or um, being a nihilist. Which of those is better? Which is worse? I don't know. They're, they both sound terrible to me. Um, so I think those are not our only alternatives. There are um, other ways to go with this. Giving up the illusion that justice will always be done isn't embracing injustice on the other side, right? Giving up the dream that there is an ultimate God-given morality isn't the same as embracing a senseless, immoral order. Right? Those aren't the same. Giving up a consoling belief that the bad guys will always suffer and that the good will triumph isn't the same as giving up on our values that we want justice and that we insist on justice. And giving up on the perfect cosmic order isn't the same as embracing disorder. 
Those are different. So we don't have to choose between those, between having illusions on the one hand, believing things that are maybe unbelievable on the one hand, or having a barbaric, amoral, valueless culture. Those aren't our only options. And my claim is that karma, the Buddhist principle of karma, presents possibilities that are that create a powerful um, ethics and give motivation to live a good life. So here's how. Let me describe what I mean. Karma is linked to the idea of, in Buddhism, it's called dependent arising. Those of you who know Buddhist thought know that term. Dependent arising means that everything that is arises or comes to be what it is dependent on other things. Nothing is what it is on its own or just is that way. Everything is caused or conditioned by other things. So everything depends on other things. And those other things depend on other things. So everything is linked together and is interdependent. So um, uh, a tree um, will only grow if you have the elements that is required to grow a tree. So what are those? Soil, sun, air, water, a seed, and so on. Um, if you have those elements and they're together in the right way, you will always have a tree. The, the tree will, will always appear. No exceptions. It's a natural process. In the same way, karma is the idea in the same idea in the moral sphere. If you do an act, especially if you do it habitually, over and over again, right, it will make you a certain kind of person. All other factors being equal, no exceptions. If you do acts of cruelty, you will become a cruel person. Um, if you do acts of kindness, you will become a kind person. Um, that there are, is a natural causality there. What I do affects who I become. Having made a decision and acted in a certain way in my life, uh, that act is now deposited into my character. I can't ever get away from it. Everything I've done is now part of me. Our habits and our customs of behavior, in a way, engrave themselves into our character. We live with them forever. Doesn't mean you can't reverse them. Let's say I, I begin to have the habit of doing this, and I decide, I decide that's not good for me. Um, and I decide, okay, I'm not going to do that. I will do this instead. I can reverse the flow of that. It's hard, as, as we know, breaking habits is very hard, but we can. Nevertheless, whatever we do is always there shaping our character. That's the basic idea. This, uh, they put a stamp of identity on, on them. My character is what it is, given all the things I've done in my life. Good, bad, not so indifferent, and so on. Okay, so um, my claim is that karma, in this sense, is simply true. Um, that is the way that, that things work in the world. Um, what goes around doesn't even need to come around because it's already here. Um, it's already inscribed in your character. So that phrase that, um, that people often use, what goes around comes around, usually means what I do to others, people will do back to me. And I think sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. For example, um, recently I was standing in line at the Department of Motor Vehicles, and it was a long line. I had to get some form. And um, the guy in front of me turns around and looks at me, and I say something like, um, oh, too bad we're having, you know, I'm trying to be nice, pleasant. And I smile and say, oh, too bad we're having waited this long line. 
And he screams at me and says, shut up or we'll knock your teeth out. <laughs> so here's a case where what went around wasn't exactly coming back, right? So because what we put out in the world to other people um, depends on them too, right? Their, things are happening in their lives. And sometimes good things, sometimes not so good things. So, um, but in this other sense, um, what, I, what, what goes around, what I do, doesn't even need to come around, I said, because it's already here. I've already done it to myself. I've already made myself into a certain kind of person by having engaged in that sort of activity. My acts are making me who I am naturally, and there's no magic about that. That's just sheer causality. Okay, so thinking peaceful thoughts will pacify your life. Doing violence will make you a violent person. Um, karma in the sense is simply the way things work. So Buddhists have known this all along. Uh, it's a basic principle, and it's, a, it's brilliantly worked out in, in Buddhism by way of meditation. So you meditate on the quality of your act. You sculpt them. Uh, you are the sculptor of your life, and you decide on your acts, and you engage in them, first mentally in meditation, and then outwardly in the world. It's brilliant. But Buddhists have also hoped for more than that. And that's where I think the idea of karma goes wrong. Um, they knew that doing compassionate acts of kindness builds compassionate character. They got that right. But they also then posited that the compassionate person will lead a, a future life that is good and nothing bad will happen to the compassionate person. Right? So they went from that you are making your character through your acts to saying that there is ultimately cosmic justice and evil cannot be done to a good person and evil will be done to an evil person. So that's an extra leap into cosmic justice is my claim. Hence you have to have the idea of rebirth, right? It becomes necessary because we all see that occasionally bad people lead relatively pleasant lives and occasionally good people are snuffed out. We see that that's true. And if you're going to say, no, there's nevertheless, I still want to believe in cosmic justice, that good, the, the right thing is always done, well, then you have to say, well, it has to happen in some life beyond this one, because it doesn't always happen now. Okay. Now, this, the idea of karma also means, in both Hinduism and Buddhism, oftentimes, now people mean different things by it, right? So sometimes it means that if you steal, um, then you will lose your uh, property, your personal possessions. So if you're greedy and you take other things, um, your things will be lost. Um, or um, if you treat other people cruelly, you will end up having a cruel fate yourself. All right. um, we, however, see that that doesn't always seem to be true. Um, it's not always true that if you live a good life, you come out well where you have good fortune as a result of your life. You might die early of cancer or some terrible accident, and that's the end. So for every Bernie Madoff who gets caught and humiliated in prison, um, we're aware that others slip by and live luxuriously after doing lives of evil. So what do we do about this? Besides then say, well, there must be an afterlife where justice is done. What can we do about it? Well, one thing we could do is distinguish between what we expect from our actions. What are the outcomes that we expect from, their action, from our actions? So one distinction that is um, important, I think, to make, and it's made in Western philosophy, beginning in Aristotle, all the way up through the tradition, 
is the distinction between um, goods that are internal to an act as opposed to goods that are external to an act. And let me define those. An internal good is something that when you do a certain act, that the outcome from that is necessary. You always get that same outcome. Uh, an external good is something that you may or may not get. So for example, um, if you do acts of kindness, the internal good will necessarily be that you become a kind person. If you do acts of cruelty, the internal good, in this case not so good, is that you become a cruel person. Uh, but if you're a good person, you may or may not uh, reap good fortune as a result of doing good things in the world. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. And if you are um, um, somebody who does evil, you may or may not get it. So internal is necessary, you always get it. External, you may or may not get it. And so my claim is that cosmic justice is an external good. May or may not happen. It's not written into the cosmos that all good people will live long, happy lives and all bad people will suffer. Uh, in our experience, we don't see that happening. So, um, when you do a courageous or compassionate act, some results of that necessarily follow. Right? You become a little bit more courageous. Um, you become a little bit more compassionate. And other, other re rewards for that act may or may not come. You may be rewarded for being courageous, or compassionate, you may um, get a medal or something. Um, you may be honored, you may get money for, for this, but you might not. So those are contingent. We don't know if those are gonna happen or not. They're not part of it. Uh, they can't be guaranteed. But the good act and the, and the bad act are always doing something incremental to your character, shaping you slightly further into that kind of person that the act entails. It shapes your character. You might not be rewarded for your kindness by getting rich for it, but you will get the reward of getting to become a kind person. Okay. So karma, my claim is karma can guarantee internal rewards. Right? Those necessarily come and always do, but can't guarantee external rewards, which sometimes happen and sometimes don't. Now think about this though. Um, there's, this is kind of a qualification. Mind my um, qualifying a little bit. It is often the case that good things happen to good people, and it's often the case that bad things happen to bad people, um, but not always. Right? So why is that? Um, it's not because the cosmos demands it, it's because human beings are involved, and human beings really want it to be the case that merit and reward match up. Okay, so whenever we're working with human beings, human beings like it when, um, when good behavior is rewarded and bad behavior is anti-rewarded. Right? Um, so there, there is, it's often the case in the midst of human society that good comes to good and evil comes to evil, but not always. Right? So it's, it's not a guarantee. But if we ask why that is, it's a human desire for justice. It's us doing that. It's our realization that, um, that people's reward should match their merit. People who are cruel and unjust should be shunned or jailed. Um, but um, we know that they're not always. 
um, honest people, you know, if you're in business, let's say, um, you, and you're honest as a business person, you'll have loyal customers. People know your honesty. Um, but if you cheat your customers, chances are that will come back to you at some point. There, what goes around often will come back around as an external reward. So it's, it's often the case that, um, that justice will be done. But not always, that's the point. It's not guaranteed, it's not internal to the relationship. So let me summarize. There are three basic out outcomes here for acts of karma. Um, one, when you do anything, no matter what you do, it shapes your character. It makes you a little bit more, tiny bit more, into a certain kind of person. Whether it's a bad act, good act, neutral act, um, whether it's just sitting around, that's shaping your character too. No matter what you're doing, you're shaping your character. We know that happens. Um, that's necessary. That's number one. Number two, everything you do also shapes, has a shaping effect on those around you, on your community, on your family, on your society, and on your environment. You know, now. So, um, so when you do an act, it shapes you. It shapes your, the world around you to a little bit, a little extent, always. And those, those always happen. Third, um, when you do something good or bad, it encourages others to treat you um, in ways that correspond to your character. It encourages others to treat you that way. doesn't guarantee that you will. So they will often do unto you as you have done unto them, but not always. So the third outcome here is contingent. That is, it's external. It's not automatic. It's not natural a part of the process. But the, number one and number two, that you shape your character and you shape others, that always happens you know, inevitably. Um, the reason Buddhists have added, and others in the world, Christians and Muslims and Jews and Hindus and others, have added the extra dimension of cosmic justice is that it's thought that some people need a little extra moral motivation, right? That for some people, the fact that if I do good, I get to be a good person isn't enough. Or that if I do good, I help shape my society into a good society. For some people, that's not enough. So all religions have added more to that. That if you do good as a Christian, you'll go to heaven or as a Muslim. If you do good as a Buddhist or Hindu, you will re be reborn in a situation that's better than you would have otherwise. So there, it's added motivation. Right? So that's, that's the reason for that extra dimension. Um, <clears throat> but what about justice? Um, let's, let's think about justice a little bit. Um, um, if the only punishment for a corporate criminal who gets away with it is that he's a bad person, but he still gets to live in the mansion in Florida and have all kinds of pleasure and live a long, healthy life with his own doctor tending him, um, that, that seems wrong, right? There's something wrong with that. Uh, how do we deal with that? Well, the best answer to that is that if we don't think that the cosmos is taking care of matters of injustice, then we have to do it ourselves. That justice is a human matter. It's our invention. We came up with it. It's maybe our best idea ever, but we have to carry it through. So if there's to be justice in the world where corporate criminals don't um, feed off um, the elderly by stealing their retirement money, 
Um, and if good people are to be rewarded, we have to do that, rather than count on the cosmos to do it for us. That good, hardworking people, honest people, should be paid adequately. Thieves should lose what they've stolen, go to jail, be rehabilitated. But we have to do that. Right? That's our job. That's a signal. Um, there's another problem with traditional Indian concept of karma. See it in uh, both Hinduism and Buddhism to some extent. And that's that it's sometimes thought that if there is cosmic justice, in other words, if justice is always done, then I really don't have to do it. Right? So that it's not my responsibility, it will take care of itself. So if there's an elderly person who's being abused in my neighborhood, um, I can think, I can think, I'm not saying all well, Buddhists and Hindus do think this, but I could think that they're just receiving the just reward for having lived a terrible life. Right? And um, therefore, you know, I don't really have to engage that. I don't have to do something about that. Okay? So that there is a way that, on occasion, um, the concept of karma when linked with rebirth and cosmic justice disempowers engagement on behalf of social justice. And that's a bad thing. That, that is escaping our duty. If justice is up to us, we have to do it. And we can't leave it up to the universe to take care of that. <clears throat> so, um, let me conclude by saying I think Karma is unique in the world religions um, for its power as a moral principle, its simplicity, um, for the way that it can explain to us um, how it is that we're, we have the freedom to sculpt our own lives, that the outcome of our life is not entirely up to us, but in certain dimensions uh, up to us. We're the sculptors of our own life as a work of art. Um, karma functions brilliantly in that sense as a moral principle and um, as a guide for actions. Um, so what I'm saying is as a, it has global possibilities that no other moral principle in any other world religion um, has the cachet of karma in that respect. Um, karma is maybe our only option uh, for a global moral principle. But my claim is using it, especially for people outside of Buddhism and Hinduism, will require some adjustments um, that the mythological and supernatural elements associated with the concept of karma have to be extricated and taken out. But I'm saying that can be done. And that if that's done, and there are precedents in the Buddhist tradition too. There were um, famous Zen Buddhist, Mahayana Buddhist philosophers who, um, for whom rebirth and cosmic justice were, was not particularly believable for them either. So many, um, not many, but some important Zen Buddhists have simply ignored the idea of rebirth as a way to guarantee cosmic justice. They're focused on this life. You know, it's, it's of no concern to them. So there are precedents in Buddhism for doing that. Let me tell you a short story um, of why I think um, that this is true. Okay, I'm, I'm in Montana, 
rural Montana, I'm in the mountains with a friend. We have a Jeep. We're driving through the mountains. It's gorgeous. And we realize that we're sliding down, it's a dirt road, we're sliding down this road on shale. And shale is very sharp. And all four tires get punctured. So obviously with one spare, um, we have flat tires. So we have to hike out for, you know, took half the day to get out. Um, no cell phone, can't use phones. Find a way to call the call, get the tow truck, tow truck comes. And um, we then have this four hour ride with the tow truck driver. And while we're uh, three hours long, but anyway, he tells us this incredible story as we're going. He says that he, didn't, he wasn't always a tow truck driver. He said once upon a time, he, um, he raised hunting dogs. And uh, he was, he's really good with animals. And he had uh, uh, 30, 35 hunting dogs that he was training. And he would sell them for five, dollars $6,000 each. And he made a good living, he thought. But he had a neighbor. He lived out in the forest. But he had a neighbor a quarter mile away who always bitterly complained about the dogs barking all the time. And uh, this neighbor was crude and cruel. And um, The neighbor said uh, at one occasion, uh, better shut them damn dogs up or, or something's going to happen to them. And um, so you know, he ignores that. But one day, he comes back from having been away all day, and uh, all the dogs are dead or sick. Um, they've been fed a poisonous meat. Of course, they ate it up and got very sick. And he's furious. Of course, he's a complete animal lover. Um, he's just livid. And he's boiling in anger. He runs in and gets his gun. Everybody in Montana has a gun. And he's going to go kill this guy. And fortunately, when he gets to the neighbor's house, the neighbor's gone. The neighbor had the good sense to escape for a while. But he's planning, OK, when this guy comes back, he's going to kill him. And so he's telling us the story. And. Um, so, but he tells his friends this happened as he's fuming in anger. And the word gets around town that his dogs were poisoned and this guy did it, and that he intends to kill him when he comes back. You know, Montana justice, the Wild West. Um, so uh, he's in, the, the guy's in town, he hasn't done the act of murder yet. And um, the local Baptist minister comes up to him and says, Hi, son, I'm the preacher. And um, I hear that your, your dogs were poisoned. That's terrible. That was an awful thing. That's, that's, that's a, a deep sin in my tradition. But I also hear that your anger means that you're about to go do violence to the person who did that. And I advise you against that. And the young man said, well, why? I mean, this is vengeance. He killed my dog. And the Baptist preacher said, Karma, son. <laughs> so karma. You have to understand karma. So this Baptist minister in rural Montana starts explaining to him the principle of karma. And, uh, and by the time he was done, he said, well, he explains. Uh, this awful person did a terrible thing. His karma is awful. You know, He's going to hell. Um, but now, if you go and do another act of violence, you kill him, that's a separate act. That's, that's murder. Um, same thing for you. So um, your, your act is separate from that. Don't think of this as a, a bad act and vengeance that gets things straight. Um, things get worse after your act. And karma is the principle, the Baptist preacher says, that um, will we'll tell you about that. So he goes and gets books, and he reads about karma. And um, turns out he calms down by the time the awful guy comes back. Um, he's gone to the sheriff, the sheriff arrests him, and justice is done. And 
So anyway, if karma can work in rural Montana, I figured it can work everywhere. All right, I'm done. Thank you.